You are listening to the Hill City Church Podcast. Our mission is to become and make disciples who walk with God, connect with people, and impact the world. Well, today we are talking about a topic that I'm not exactly the best person to be talking about. Today we're talking about wardrobe. See, when I was in elementary school, I wore the same bright red St. Louis Cardinals jacket to school every day. And as the years went by, I didn't evolve my fashion sense much. Slowly, sweat pants were replaced by sweat shorts because obviously they're more breathable. And my red jacket was replaced with a green sweater vest. So progress, right? Everything after that was a blur of bandanas and band tees and one very confusing year at a modeling agency in Australia. If you're anything like me, you look back on old photos of yourself and you wonder, who let me walk out the door looking like that? Or maybe you get to the end of the day and you've realized you've missed a button or a very important zipper. And you think, why didn't anyone tell me? I looked ridiculous. For so many of us, when we begin our walk of faith and we join the Christian community, our old life clashes with the new life that we're supposed to have with Christ. Well, today, believe it or not, Paul actually has some fashion advice for us as he uses the metaphor of clothing to help us take off our old life in the world and put on our new life in Christ. So, you guys ready to get dressed? We, As Christians, we've got our own sense of style, and it's time to update the wardrobe. But first, Paul's going to help us clean out the closet. We're going to jump into our text today, starting in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Now, I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of heart, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality and greed to practice every kind of impurity. Now you may be thinking, whoa, that sounds a bit harsh. And you'd be right. This is like when my wife sees me pull out an old ragged t-shirt from high school and she uses words like Neanderthal and tattered rags to help convince me it's time to let those old threads go. Or like when Simon hits the buzzer in America's Got Talent and says, you look simply dreadful. Sometimes we need to come to terms with just how bad we look in the old life. And that's exactly what Paul is doing here. He's giving us some tough love because if we're honest, the old life it's cozy. We've spent so much time wearing it that it, it fits just right. It's warm. It's snuggly. It goes on so easily and fits just right. Sometimes we need a little tough love, and that's what Paul is doing here as he gives us a stern warning against what we're going to call the path to impurity. Now, this all begins with what Paul calls a hardening of the heart. We might say something like a heart of stone. 
The word porosis that Paul uses here is where we get the word porous from. And it, it literally is describing a rock that is harder than marble. This is a person who is completely closed off to God, who wants nothing to do with the gospel. And this hardness, this rejection of God and the things of God leads us to darkness. You reject God for long enough and pretty soon you'll believe anything or anyone. A person who's in darkness, they can't see truth even if it's right in front of them. Have you ever wandered around your house at two in the morning? Even though you've walked through the house a hundred times, you're stumbling over chairs and toys. Why? Even though they're right in front of you, you're in darkness. You can't see it. Hardness happens in our hearts. This darkness happens in the mind. As we walk further and further down this path to impurity, Paul tells us that we become alienated from the life of God. We can just call this separation. Now, a person who becomes spiritually separated from God no longer feels anything. They become callous. You know all about calluses if you've ever tried taking a guitar class before. I started playing a sixth string in the sixth grade, and at first, I couldn't even make a few chords without my fingers throbbing. But after enough practice and enough playing, I could play all day long without feeling a thing. And that's the idea here. A person no longer feels anything. And when you no longer feel anything, you'll do anything to feel something. And that brings us to the end of the line, the end of the road, the path to impurity, a place where a person can call evil good and good evil, like the talks about in Isaiah chapter 5. Now, this is where things start to get scary because the sky is the limit in the worst possible way. If you've ever watched the news and wondered how a human being could do that to another human being, how a person could take the life of a complete stranger, or how a father could abuse his daughter, the worst, the most horrific evil that you have seen and experienced in this world is made possible by people who have given themselves over to every kind of impurity. It's no wonder Paul uses such strong language here. His point couldn't be more clear. The old life looks so bad on you. It's time to change your clothes. It's time to get rid of the old and put on the new. He continues in our passage by saying, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. I love what Paul says here, but that is not the way you learned Christ. This is not talking so much about an academic assignment, but a deep relationship. The same way you learn a special fella or lady in your life. I would argue that you do more studying when you're dating than you ever have in any class or course you've ever taken. You pay attention to the things that they like, the things that seem to annoy them. The disciples learned so much more about their rabbi than just fun facts and his teachings. They learned 
him as a person. They learned his life and his ethics, what made him upset, what made him cry. They learned him the same way we learn one another. And when we really get to know someone and we really care about them, oftentimes we'll remove the parts of ourselves that they find hurtful or offensive and we'll add new things that they find funny or enjoyable. If you've ever dated someone and completely changed your style, your, the way you dress, then you know exactly what this looks like to get to know someone. This process, when it comes to Christ, Paul calls the renewing of our minds. In the same way that there are steps further down the path to impurity, there are also steps that we can take down the road to renewal. This is the same idea that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, when he says, no longer be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Randy Alcorn summarizes this transformation perfectly when he says, sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character, and sow a character, reap a destiny. You could say you are what you think, right? And if you've ever tried a diet before or a very strict eating plan, you know that it's not enough to just sit there and try and stop thinking about all your favorite foods, to stop thinking about donuts, soft, warm, glazed, sprinkle-covered donuts. Renewal is not just about removal. It's about replacement. You could say it like this. Removal plus replacement equals renewal. And so today, Paul is going to be our own personal stylist, our fashion designer. He's going to help us take off some of those old garments, those old dirty rags associated with our life before Christ and help us put on our new garments as a part of the family of faith, a part of the kingdom of God. So you guys ready to get dressed in your kingdom clothes today? All right, we're going to jump into the rest of the section, the rest of chapter four. And it's a long section, so I'd ask you to pay attention as I read these verses to what garments Paul talks about taking off and what garments he talks about taking on really hit you, really stick out to you. And this isn't just some general good advice for not being a bad person and being a good person. Remember, Paul's emphasis throughout the entire book of Ephesians is the unity, the body of Christ, the church coming together as one. And so these kingdom clothes are intended to knit us together as a family of faith. So as you think through which of these really resonate with you, consider the context of the church as you listen to these words. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. 
Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Now, the first thing that Paul tells us that we need to take off is dishonesty. Now, if you ever find yourself wearing something like this, it might be Halloween or just a very strangely themed party. (laughs) But the point is, either way, to cover up what's really underneath. Now, I don't think of myself as much of a liar, and maybe you don't either, but there are many less sinister ways that we can cover up the truth. I looked up some of the most frequently asked questions on Google this week, and I was surprised at some of the searches that are out there. One of the top ones was, how can I get away with lying about my kid's age to get discounts? I think about the little ways we twist the truth when we miss appointments or can't make it to a meeting, the excuses that we tell ourselves and other people when we don't show up to church or life group. Or when we let our spouse know that we're on our way home, but really we're still sitting at our desk. And the half-hearted lies that we tell, half-hearted promises we tell our kids when we let them know we're going to never miss another one of their games or recitals. What about the search histories that we've cleared and the personal messages that we've deleted? Perhaps one of the most frequent, frequent lies that we tell is our answer to the question, how are you doing? When's the last time you answered that question honestly? You see, dishonesty is a disguise, and it's a unity killer because it hides us from one another. John McKay points out the severity of being dishonest as a part of the family of church when, as a part of the body of Christ when he says, a lie is a stab into the very vitals of the body of Christ. But it's not enough to just take off the disguise. We've got to put on truth. Paul tells us to speak the truth as we are members of one another. Now, you probably don't know this, but I have terrible vision. I just wear contact lenses so you can't tell. But I will never forget my first pair of prescription glasses. The back of that optometrist office was the most beautiful thing that I had ever seen. It was really the first thing I had ever seen in high definition 2020, and I will never forget it. You see, real lenses, prescription lenses, help us see the world the way it actually is. In other words, they reveal truth. And if there's anywhere in the world, any place on the planet that should reveal truth, that should be a place of transparency and vulnerability, it is the church. That is what it was designed to be, a place that we can be known, which brings us to our practice for today, for putting on truth. And that's this, to show the real you to show people the real you, not just the dressed up, filtered up version of yourself that you want everyone to see, but to let down your guard and let people in. 
Who are the people that you can talk to about what's really going on? Who can you share your sins and your struggles and your secrets with? The stuff that's eating you up inside, it's got to get out. And the only way it's going to get out is if you have someone to talk to about it. One of the best places that you can do this is as a part of our life groups. These are safe, small pockets of community as a part of our church where you can open up and be fully accepted and loved just as you are. You can let the walls down and let people in to care for you and pray for you. And if that sounds like something that you want to be a part of, you can sign up to be a part of a life group right now. Just scroll down below this video open up the description and click on the connect card link. You can also go right to our homepage at hillcityboise.org. We've got a link to the connect card right on top of that page. Fill out that card and let us know that you want to join one of our life groups. This is a great place to show the real you. And maybe you're already in a life group. Maybe you have people that you can talk to, but you haven't let them all the way in. You've been wearing a disguise in your relationships. It is time to take off the mask and speak truth. Well, next, Paul tells us to take off anger. Now, the first thing I think when I see someone wearing one of these is they are having a bad day. (laughs) And my second thought is what do they need all the square footage in the pockets for? I mean, these things are like cargo pants for the whole body. Sorry if you've got a lot of trench coats in your wardrobe. It's about time someone told you that you give off a little bit of a Bond villain vibe whenever you walk outside wearing one of these. Now, I don't think of myself as necessarily an angry person. Um, However, ask yourself the question, what gets you worked up? What kinds of posts and articles on social media just make your blood boil? What are the topics of politics and religion that just fill you with rage and make your friends into temporary enemies? And maybe even ask yourself this, who is the person, the last person that you would want to see at church? You see, what anger does is it says, you owe me. It creates a relational debt between us and other people. Just think about it. When someone gossips about you, they take away your good reputation. When an employer fires you, they steal your financial security. If someone cheats on you, they rob you of your confidence and so much more. Nothing drives us apart from one another like this kind of relational debt, this anger. Have you ever noticed how you never see the person who owes you 50 bucks? And Paul tells us that the remedy for anger is reconciliation. This was my uh, Father's Day gift this year. It is a bathrobe. Try not to picture me as I would normally be putting this on. Um, For the longest time, though, I thought these things were useless. I thought they were nothing more than a cape-shaped towel. That is until I tried one on for the first time. It was like being hugged by a cloud fresh out of the dryer. 
If anyone knows of a more peaceful article of clothing than a bathrobe, please let me know because I would love to try it on. I'm pretty sure it is impossible to be angry while wearing one of these. If we're going to make things right between us and other people where there's anger, there's only one way forward. There's only one way to accomplish peace, and that's by putting on reconciliation. It's by canceling the debt. That's what Jesus' definition of forgiveness is, to cancel debt. And Jesus, he knows a thing or two about canceling debt, right? Maybe you've experienced this transaction take place in your own life. When you got to that moment where you realized there was nothing that you could ever do to pay your way back into a right relationship with God. You cried out, begging God to forgive your debt, to forgive your sins and lead your life. And he looked down at you and with a single word, he wiped the slate clean. But punishment still had to fall on someone. There was still a price to be paid. The accounts needed to be settled. And so in the greatest act of love imaginable, the king himself decided to pay the difference. Jesus left perfection in heaven to be born and raised in our broken world. And yeah, he was a God-man, but he still got the full human experience. The stubbed toes and the hurt feelings, the letdowns and the growing pains, he felt it all. He walked a lifetime in our shoes and then was betrayed by one of his closest friends, handed over to his enemies, and he was beaten, mocked, tortured, and executed as his own people cheered or abandoned him, all so that he could look down at you and say, Father, do not hold this sin against them. They don't know what they're doing. And with his final breath on the cross, our debt was paid in full. And if you're watching this today and you have never experienced that free gift of forgiveness that God extends to us, man, you can have peace and reconciliation with God today. You can have that debt canceled right now. Pause this video. Don't go any further into this message without taking the time to pray in your own words. Cry out to God and ask him to forgive your sins, to wipe the slate clean, and to come and lead your life and help you take off the old one and put on our new life in Christ. And maybe you're ready to take that step of baptism as well. We're actually doing river baptisms on Labor Day weekend. This is a great time to get dunked if that's something you've never done before. If you have questions about what baptism is or how to take this step of faith, you can go to hillcityboise.org baptism. We would love to help you step into the family of God. And that... That is the only reason why we have the strength to be able to forgive other people because of the massive debt that we have been forgiven, the massive debt that we have had canceled. That is how we are then able to turn to our brothers and sisters and forgive those debts. And that is our practice for putting on reconciliation is to cancel the debt. Are there people that are a part of your faith community that you have debt between you? 
but you dread your next interaction with them. You secretly wish that they'll fail and you find yourself rehearsing conversations in your head. Go to them. Talk to them. Jesus tells us, don't even bother coming to church to be made right with God until you've made things right with your brothers and sisters. Paul tells us not to let the sun go down on our anger. You can text someone right now as you're watching this video and say, hey, can we get together for coffee? I need to talk to you about something. Cancel the debt. Forgive your brothers and sisters. Put on reconciliation. You can have that conversation today that will set you free. Corey ten Boom, a famous author who experienced unimaginable atrocities and hurts at the hands of the Nazis during World War II, she says, forgiveness is setting a prisoner free and then realizing that that person was me. You can have freedom today, freedom from your own sins and also freedom in your relationships. Cancel the debt. Well, our next piece of clothing that Paul tells us to take off is stealing. Now, I'm guessing most of you aren't shoplifters, um, and maybe it's been a while since you've seen one of these. So we're actually going to call this to take off taking. Um, but yeah, this is, this is um, a bib. And I think that they should make these for adults too. I know I would benefit from having them. They could do like little tuxedo design print on it. Anyways, if anyone's gonna move forward with this idea, let me know, because I want in. But the, the idea here is the younger you are, the more you're dependent on other people to give you things. And, and with babies, right, they need everything given to them. They can't feed themselves, they can't change themselves. So you could say that babies, all they can do is take. And while that's cute when you're a baby, if you never take off that bib, as you grow up, it grows out of style real fast. We're going to call these people that never take their bibs off takers. It's really easy to see takers around you. It's not as easy to see when you're a taker yourself. So we're going to do a, lit, a little litmus test. You might be a taker if you're not a great tipper, but you're a great complainer. If you're the last person people want as a part of their group project and the first person in line all the time. Takers show up to church looking to be served. They might describe the experience of church as being fed. They're spiritual consumers. If you've ever seen those news stories about people that get trampled on Black Friday, takers are the ones who are doing the trampling. Well, this is not the way it is supposed to work in the church. And this is not what we see when we look at the early church. Acts chapter 2 actually gives us a glimpse into the kind of culture the church had in the earliest days of its conception. Check it out. All the believers were together and had everything in common. And this is the part I want you to catch. They sold property and possessions to give to everyone who had need. Man, these guys are givers. They are sharers. They show up to the meal not wearing a bib, but wearing an apron ready to serve their brothers and sisters. This is what it looks like to be a giver. 
Now, we know by definition that stealing is bad, but Paul gives us a new definition for working here that maybe we haven't thought about before. Normally, we think about the purpose of work being to provide for ourselves or for our family, but Paul tells us the purpose of work is to do something useful with our hands so that we might have something to share with those who are in need. And this is how the church was meant to function. Because you see, when everyone shows up wearing bibs, looking to take from one another, everyone leaves hungry. Everyone leaves empty-handed. But when everyone comes together wearing aprons, looking to share and serve one another, then everyone is taken care of. That's our practice for putting on sharing today, is to use what you have to help others. And I'm not just talking about giving your your tithe during offering, but the church should be the first place that we can turn to when we need help. And I've seen this take place again and again with our church here at Hill City when life groups come around one of their own to help them pay the bills because they came up a bit short this week. When new mothers are showered in flowers and casseroles, when people open up a room in their home to someone who can't afford a place to stay right now. This, I've seen this happen when the congregation takes it upon themselves to purchase laptops and cars for college students. When Jesus says, look at that, because that is the kind of stuff that people will know that you are my disciples because you have love for one another. Is there a check that you could write today that would significantly change someone's circumstances? Is there something that you could sell that would help someone out with their medical bills? We need to start asking each other the question, how can I help you and actually do something about it? This reminds me of a story from my summer as a camp counselor. I was in Colorado staying with a host family on the weekends, and on my first night, I was getting a tour of the house. Well, as I was going through all the different rooms, I saw this sweet guitar hanging on the wall. And when my host noticed me drooling over his instrument, he stopped and said, oh, you, you play guitar? Do you like that? And then with complete sincerity, he said, you can have it if you want. That's what it looks like to put on sharing, to wear an apron into every situation in life, to hold what you have loosely so that God can use it to help anyone in need. Let's put on sharing. Let's approach each other as givers. Next, Paul tells us to put off corrupt talk. Now, if you see someone wearing this, you might think that you just stumbled into a war zone. And you'd be right. Corrupt talk starts fights. It initiates battles. The word sapros that Paul uses here brings to mind images of a landfill. This is literally speech that stinks. 
think of rancid milk, rotten tomatoes. This isn't just the naughty words that used to get your mouth washed out with soap. This is stuff like sneering and cynicism and sarcasm, gossip, anything that tears one another down, even if the person that you're talking about isn't there to hear it. How are your words weapons towards one another? And maybe some of the most dangerous ways that we see this take place is the words that we never even speak out loud. What about the words, the unspoken words in your text messages, the unspoken words in your social media posts? Are they starting fires like James talks about? He says that the tongue is a fire setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. Man, that imagery is all too real for those of us who are living in Boise right now, right? Because you cannot walk outside without being reminded of the incredible devastation that is caused by uncontrollable fire. Words have torn families apart. This kind of speech has ended friendships and torn and part and split churches. I'm guessing that some of the deepest hurts that you have ever experienced have been the result of corrupt speech. And Paul's telling us there is no room for that kind of talk in the family of God. Instead, we should put on words that build up. Now, I am not myself, I am not Mrs. Idaho. This is courtesy of our very own Mrs. Idaho, who attends our church, Whitney Scott. So thank you very much. But this to me brings to mind the classic pageant pageant interview question, how would you make the world a better place? And I want you to ask yourself, how can your words make every conversation and every situation a better place? How do they add value and beauty and life wherever they are heard. Our parents used to tell us to think before we speak, but I want to take that idea one step farther today. Try asking yourself the question, how are my words a gift to the people who are hearing them? And we can all remember these kinds of gifts that we've been given. When someone encouraged us so specifically and so genuinely that it changed the way that we saw ourselves. Or someone gave us just the right advice at the right time and it totally changed the direction of our lives. Or maybe someone just spoke words of comfort to you and it filled you with hope. I still remember one time when my dad overheard me singing out loud to the radio and he told me he thought I had a good voice. Or when my running coach told me he thought I had what it takes to win regionals. I never forget those things. They were gifts. And maybe you too. Some of those words have meant more to you than any other physical gift that you've ever been given. In the, on, the, on the flip side of words being like fire that causes incredible destruction, check out how the tongue is described in Proverbs twelve eighteen. The tongue of the wise brings healing. The words we speak have incredible power to add value and life and, like Paul says, grace to one another. And that is our practice for putting on this new article of clothing to use your words to build others 
up. Build someone up with your words. It's not just Josh's job to encourage us when he gets up on the pulpit on Sundays. This is something that we should do every time we're together. I made it a goal of mine a few years ago to not leave a meeting without taking a moment to encourage the person that I was meeting with. Man, what if every single one of us made a commitment to do that? To not show up to a gathering without encouraging someone before we leave. And I'm not just talking about commenting on their shoes or noticing their new haircut. Yes, by the way, I did get a new haircut. You didn't have to say anything. I'm talking about building people up with words of grace and life, with specific, genuine encouragements that shape the way that they see themselves. Let's put on words that build one another up. And if we all made a commitment to just do that with one person every time we get together, I believe that we would have the kind of environment and culture that the world is drawn to and changed by. So let's speak words of life and grace to one another. Well, all of these different articles of clothing can really be summarized in our main point for today, which is Christians dress like Christ. Christians dress like Christ. All of these different things that we're putting on are to make us look more and more like Christ. And the ultimate example of this happens the night before Jesus is executed. In his final moments with his disciples, before he would be arrested and taken to trial, Jesus could leave his followers with anything. He could have cleared up a couple confusing points of theology. He could have given them blueprints, details on how to set up and start the church. He could have reprimanded them for some of the biggest mistakes they've made. But instead of all those things, he does something completely unexpected. He got up from the meal and he took off his outer clothing. He wrapped a towel around his waist And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. I don't think for the rest of their lives the disciples would ever forget that image of their master, their king, on his knees wearing a towel ready to serve them. That was one of the most important things that he could leave them with. And that is what it looks like for us to dress like Christ. We approach one another. We approach every opportunity and situation looking for what we can add to it, how we can serve, how we can share, how we can speak words that encourage and build one another up. And clothing is such a perfect illustration for this. Because getting dressed is something we have to do every single day. And so when you wake up tomorrow morning and you look in the mirror and you ask yourself the question, what am I going to wear today? Don't forget to put on your kingdom clothes. Thanks for tuning in to the Hill City Church Podcast. You can find out more about our church at hillcityboise.org. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Hill City Boise. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you follow Jesus with everything.